like they're so good. Huh? Let's just be honest this morning. I want to test your honesty. How many of you got in a fight on the way to church this morning? I, I didn't say raise your hand, but I was just checking. <laughs> we almost got in a wreck, which almost got in a fight, which it's just, anyway, we're there with you. Don't be embarrassed. We're embarrassed too. <laughs> Well, this morning we're talking, we're continuing on our series entitled Ideal Family. I've got a humming in the mic. Um, and we, we, we're, today we're talking about tension. And, and last week we left you with a question. What do you do with the gap between your real family and your ideal family? Now, remember, your ideal family is the family that you had in your mind before you started your family. Right. Everything was going to be perfect. Right. You were going to be the, no, I'm talking about what you had in your mind. Everything was going to be perfect. You were going to be making good money, living in a nice house with maybe a white picket fence. Or if, if you were country folk, you had a couple acres and a pond and, and the birds were always singing and the weather was always perfect and your kids always obeyed. Anybody ever thought that? So that, that's the ideal family is that everything goes fine. Last week, Pastor Josh showed you some pictures or actually the week before that, some pictures of, of them and that they take some family portraits and how the, the portraits that they posted on their social media sites was the ideal portrait. But, but then he showed you the ones that were behind the scenes. You know, you go to take pictures, you take about 200 of them and out of 200, you might get two good ones, right? The rest of them, if you got kids, they're poking each other, rabbit ears, one's not looking, the other one's frowning, the other one's smiling cheesy, right? That's the reality of it all. That's how we really are, right? So today we're going to talk about, so we left that question, what is the gap, what do you do with the gap between what your realistic family is like now and what your ideal family is in your mind? What do you do with the gap in between that? Because that's where we find ourselves today, right? How do we get from where we are today to this ideal family? There's only one way. It's called God's grace. God's grace is the only way you get there, right? And so today we're going to talk specifically about being in that gap and what happens in that gap, right? And I'm going to specifically talk to you today about tension. Say tension. tension. Oh, you said that too nicely. Say Tension. tension. I get a little spit coming out of your mouth. Sumer, you might want to back up. <laughs> okay, I'll take that warning. But we're talking about tension. You know, there's always something that goes on in family, right? Listen, there's no conflict like a family conflict, right? I mean, nobody can get as mad as they do with their own family members, right? Isn't that the craziest thing? You would think it should be the opposite way. That we would be nice to one another. We would be cordial. We would be gentle. We would be meek. Wrong. You're right. Family does know how to push buttons. I might, that might be the key to it all. Is that we, we see and know each other's buttons. And we... <laughs> right? Isn't that how we act? Even, even now that you're 30 or 40 years old, right? You still get around your sister and you... <laughs> That's how we are. We push buttons. Listen, family events are like, like an old Western. Everybody's coming packing a gun. And it's loaded and the hammer's pulled back. 
And we walk in the door and it looks like this. Hi, it's good to see you. South Louisiana, give you a big old kiss on the cheek. Oh, it's been so you're looking good. And we sit down and we start eating. And if somebody says, oh, man, this is, man, and, and so-and-so, I love your beans. And, and I love your steak. And I love this. And if you don't say nothing about it to, to mashed potatoes, what's she going to do? She's going to pull her gun out and she's going to shoot you. It might not be right then and there, but a little while later, after everybody's finished eating, she's going to come back around. She's going to find your butt. She's going to go, and then what happens? You got an old Western hoedown. Everybody's shooting at everybody. Am I the only one that has a family like that? You want to come to my next family reunion? (laughs) No. (laughs) But we all have conflict, right? There's no way out of conflict. I've had people tell me, man, you love conflict. I'm like, no, conflict loves me. If you really know me, I try to run from conflict, but it just seems to be faster than I am. Right? Everywhere I turn, there's conflict. And I hate it. I hate it with a passion. And I failed at conflict so many times. I'm a big, brutally guy. The way I used to always handle conflict and the way that I'm tempted to handle it now is to muscle through it. You might not believe it on this cute little face that they can get, I can get these, these veins that pop out and you can see the, the blood pumping through my head with these veins and I'll get red and my chest will come up like this and I'll get like this and I could rip your head off. You better watch, I could snap at any moment. And I'm feeling on edge this morning. No, just joking for all you guests, I'm not normally like that. <laughs> But that's the way I've always handled conflict is I just muscle my way through it. I can push you out the way. I can push you down. I can have my way. With my kids, there's two ways I can make them do something. And we say this around my house. I'll tell my kids, and Virginia knows this. She's, she's heard it a few times. I say, there's two ways you can do this. If I'm trying to tell them to do something better. There's two ways. The first way is you can do it on your own. And everything will be happy and everything will be nice. Or you can do it with my foot placed firmly on your backside. That's the way I tend to handle conflict. Pray for me. But we all face conflict and we all handle it different ways. Some of you are the type of people that run from conflict. And you just happen to be faster than me. And you can outrun conflict. So you spend your whole life running away from conflict. You can smell conflict coming a mile away. And we all handle it different, but there's no way out of it. We've got to face conflict. And in our families, that gap between the the realistic family and the ideal family, there's going to be tension. Right? God's given you a vision for your family And what it's supposed to look like. And it's your ideal picture of what your family's supposed to be. In order for me to have a great wife, I have to first be a great. So we all process conflict differently. Some of us are called screamers. Some of us settle issues by screaming, don't we? Yep. The funny thing about a screamer is they usually blow up and then they they turn around and they're like, hey, 
They cool off quick and they get real, they get real romantic. They get real nice and easy. You heard about that old Cajun lady, what she said about men, right? The men, they bark all day and they meow at night. <laughs> Isn't that true? That was a good opportunity to elbow your husband. Secondly, some of us are called peacemakers. All we want is peace, right? I mean, we'll do anything just to achieve peace. We have no passion. We have no desire. You have no, no, no ambitions. You just want peace. There was a story about a lady whose husband had no passion. And so she goes and brings him to a counselor and she sits down at the counselor's office and she says, Sir, we're here today because my husband, he just has no passion and he shows me no affection. And so the counselor sits back and he goes, hmm. And all of a sudden he jumps up from his desk. He walks around his desk and he grabs that woman and lays a big old juicy kiss on her. I'm talking about like a good 30 second kiss. The counselor on this man's wife. Okay. And he, and he pulls off and goes, ah. He goes, she needs that twice a week. And the guy looks at him and goes, I'll make sure to bring her twice a week. <laughs> Some of us, we only want peace. Right? <laughs> I'll drop you off, baby. I mean, listen, that is not me. First of all, he'd have jumped on the lady's lips on my wife. He'd have been out cold. Amen. And then some of us are sulkers, right? We come inside. When you get upset and there's conflict, you just get quiet and you shut down, don't you? And maybe your husband or your wife comes in and say, hey, how are you doing? Is everything okay? Yep. Are you fine? Yep. Something wrong? Nope. You know what happens then, right? Silence of the lambs, baby. I mean, it's quiet in the house. My grandmother was like, she was like the queen of sulking. I mean, you could feel the spirit when you walked up on the porch. Because if, if grandma was happy and she was good, she was on the swing singing a hymn. If she was mad, it was quiet. The swing wasn't swinging and the dishes were slamming and the cabinets were shutting. And you walk in and say, hey, mama, how you doing? Anybody know anybody like that? You don't want conflict. You get the cold shoulder. And then some of us are litigators. You cannot be out argued. <laughs> right? Some of you will argue to the death. I mean, you can break it down and put it on paper and pencil. You made this mistake. Yeah, but you wasn't there. And we'll argue. Sometimes I wonder if my wife and I aren't both lit litigators. I mean, we just, we've learned how to sharpen it up, though. Because I'm, I'm figuring out I'm just usually wrong. You're getting there. <laughs> but according to the Bible, there's really only one source of conflict in the family. Isn't that funny? Most arguments in families are out of three things. Money. Sex. And communication. Those are the three general rules of why people have conflict. And most professionals say if you take care of at least one of those, 
things will go a lot better. Right? So I see my wife and I go, (laughs) you know, you take care of that one. I'll take care of this one. But it doesn't always work that way. Right? Because one of us ends up falling short. It's usually me. But some of us, we always see the one source of the conflict as the devil, right? We always want to blame it on a poor little devil. Shat baby. Oh, the devil made me do it. Listen, after the 15th time, it ain't the devil. It's you. Look at your neighbor and say, it's you. Not bless you, it's you. That's Franklin. Did you hear about the guy that had the conversation with the devil? Devil came up to this guy and said, hey, you scared of me? The guy says, I ain't scared of you. Devil says, why aren't you scared of me? He says, because I'm married to your sister. That's why I'm not not scared of you. I married your sister. Hopefully you didn't say amen. So what is the cause of conflict? If we're to stop right now and look at our spouses, or, and it's not just with spouses. It could be in any relationship you have. I don't want you just to think that this is a marriage sermon. I mean, I might bounce that way, but it's really in every relationship that we have. Friends, other family members, right? But if we were to stop and say, okay, what is the real reason we're fighting? What would come out of that? If we were just to stop, instead of blowing up on one another, instead of going the whole nine yards in an argument till 1145 at night. What if we, when we see and feel and sense the tension coming, if we don't just say, okay, what's, what's up? And some of you here, you might have that down pat and you might be pretty good at that. I, I can honestly say my wife and I are getting better. Right? Yeah, okay. We're getting better. We're working on it. The last professional argument we had, we actually worked it out. I got mad at her. She got mad at me. I went to work. I called Pastor Bubba. He straightened me out. Uh, He said, go home and fix it. You know what to do. I drove home. I prayed the whole way home. We sat down at the table. I said, okay, this is what I've done wrong. This is what you've done that makes me feel this way. And it opened up a door and she said, this is what I've done wrong. And when you do this, it makes me feel this way. I was like, yeah, we got it. Now it's just to keep doing it. Right? Because you know how it is. Ten days later, here he comes. Tension again. But we're good at playing the blame game, aren't we? Our unhappiness is always somebody else's fault. Right? Let me tell you something. I am a professional blamer. I'm serious. They sent me a certificate the other day in the mail. <laughs> Laminated and everything. Professional blamer. I blame everybody except myself. If I'm stressed out, it's everybody else's fault. We're good at that, aren't we? We pass the blame. The wife usually says, I'd be all right if he'd make more money. The husband usually says, I'd be all right if she spent less money. The kids say, if my parents would only listen to me. And the parents say, if only my kids would listen to me. We're constantly pointing the fingers at somebody else, right? 
We think the real root of the problem is somebody else. Well, we, we, we're convinced of it, aren't we? I mean, we don't just think this. We are like convinced. And if somebody would give us the opportunity, we could fix them. <laughs> Couldn't we? I mean, I, I, there's been many times I've thought about my wife. If she would just listen to me, she would be perfect. And then I could become perfect. Right? I mean, I can fix everybody else but myself. Can't we? We can see everybody else's faults, but man, it sure is hard to see our own, isn't it? You know why? I'm I'm pretty convinced I know why. Number one, it's because we don't even look at ourselves. I I firmly believe there's not enough self-evaluation in the church of God today. I firmly believe there's not enough Christians saying, what am I doing to cause this? I firmly believe enough of us don't pray, Lord, show me my heart. Because when you pray things like that and you ask those kinds of questions, you're afraid you're going to get an answer. And there's a reality in that. And that you are skewed a little bit. You do have some bad thinking and you may be doing some things wrong, right? And the reality of it is that you are not perfect. Bump your neighbor, say you're not perfect. Pastor Jamie said it, and I'm saying it. I got a witness. You know, when you blame other people for your unhappiness, what you do in reality is you give them your happiness. Now, listen to me. I don't like to use the word happy too much, okay? It's, it's more of a false kind of thing because we're moody people. But let's just call it joy. If you blame other people for your lack of joy, then in turn, what you've done is you've given them your amount of joy and you've basically said to them, now you can determine how much joy I can have. You can give me a daily dose, a weekly dose, a monthly dose, or you can keep it all for yourself. Because what we do is we look at that person, we focus on that person and whatever they do determines how much joy we get to have. Right? That's wrong. Where should your joy come from? It should come from Christ. Right? Not from other people. We should be like Jesus where we could walk through the pits of hell and still have a smile on our face. Amen? So what we need to do is we need to take your joy back, put it in your own pocket, And tell Jesus, Jesus, you're now the source of my joy. Not this person. And like Sumerate says, you you need to just release that person from determining how much joy you get to have. Because I'll promise you this. They'll never give you as much as you want. (laughs) Amen. You can look at your spouse and she will never give you everything that you want or he won't. Right. But it's easy to put it off on somebody else, isn't it? We have no responsibility when somebody else has our joy, do we? You see, because when you got your own joy and your joy comes from Jesus, then now you have a responsibility to be in a relationship with Jesus. And that's what the flesh is constantly fighting. You, the flesh does not want to be in a relationship with Jesus. Why? Because it requires us to die. 
Amen? It requires us to give up something that we don't want to give up. <laughs> Isn't it funny how you don't have to train your kids to have conflict? Right? You ever, anybody ever taught their kids how to fight? How to argue? How to be canai? Anybody ever had to say, look, okay, look, you're perfect, and that's not a good thing today. So today I want to teach you how to manipulate mom and daddy. Okay, and then tomorrow we're going to learn on how to beat your brother. Okay? And then maybe next week we'll get to lying, stealing, and cheating. Right? We never have had to do that. We didn't have to go to that school ourselves, right? Why? Because we were born in that school. We learned it from our parents and the people we were around. I'm sorry, but there's not a person on the planet that has perfect parents. Amen? amen. Virginia, you can say amen. <laughs> but the reason we don't get along is because we don't get what we want. And it's funny we're talking about kids because what, what happens with kids when they're babies? When they need something, what do they do? They cry, scream. Babies make all kind of funny noises. Mamas, mamas get so good to go. That's a poop. That's a poop noise. <laughs> nope, that's a pee noise. Nope, it's time for feeding. Nah, she's just playing, right? But as babies, when we want something, we scream or we cry or we make some kind of noise to get attention. Why? Because we want something. When now? When does a baby want it? Now. You know that does not change the older you get? You still want it now. And when you don't get it, you sound just like a baby. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Do, I mean, I go, do we ever grow up? <laughs> really? I mean, we think so. We like to make believe that we grow up. Oh, I'm, I'm an adult. I'm a mature adult. Yeah, but you're still crying when you don't get what you want. <laughs> the funny thing is we got to be trained out of that. We didn't have to be trained to be like that, but we have to be trained to get out of that. Amen. I believe the uh, sign of a good mature believer is when they don't get what they want, when they want it and how they want it. And they still love Jesus and they're not mad at him or everybody else around them. Right. It's when you don't get it when you want it or you don't get it how you want it or you don't get it like you want it. Can I be honest with you this morning? I'm going through that right now. Since we sold the company and you know, selling the business and going into ministry full time, I. I had these plans. I was going to buy, I was going to make a little money on the side, legally. <laughs> I know where your minds are. Some of you in. <laughs> you need to be up here where I'm at. I'm going to make some good legal money on the side, okay? And then I'm going to go buy some properties and set myself up with these rental properties. So that way I can still make the income I'm making now and be a pastor, Right? And still live the lifestyle that I want to live now. I don't see anything wrong with that. As long as it doesn't get in the way of my relationship with Jesus. So that's my plan. So for the last couple of months, my plan hasn't been working. 
God's got another plan. And can I be honest? I don't like it. Why? Because I'm not getting what I want. It's not my plan. Do I know his plans better? Yes. It's always better, but it's not my plan. Anybody else like that? Come on. Let's just be honest this morning. Some of you getting freed up. It's not my plan. Yeah, but it's a better. I don't care. It's not mine. You know, when you're a kid, it sounds like mine. Mine. And when you're an adult, it sounds a little bit different. It sounds like mine. Mine. Right? It's not my plan. So, man, I've been struggling. I'll be, I'll be honest. Everybody says, Pastor, how you doing? I'm, I'm great. Good. Good. <laughs> I'm a real person, too. But my wife can tell you it's been a little different. I've been stressed out. I've been anxious. Pastor Willem came from South Africa just to tell me I look like a, 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 roaring, a, a roaring lion. He's like, you have nothing to do. What's wrong with you? Because I was going from 78 hours a week. Now I'm, anyway. I'm not having my way. That's the problem. And if everybody around me just listened, I'd feel better. Right? And then the way it works. We get hung up on this thing called fair. It's not fair. Right? Isn't it funny how the only time we're concerned with fair is when we're not getting what we want? But when we're getting what we want, everything across the board's fair. Y'all loving this? This is fair. Hey, y'all, y'all like it? This, this is fair. I'm getting what I want. This is fair. James 4.1 says that what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you, is it not this? That your passions are at war within you. Isn't that good? Your passions are at war within you. The Bible says this. It says that in his heart, a man plans his course. But the Lord determines his steps. See, that's always been one of my favorite verses when everything's going my way. But when he determines my steps and I don't like the way he determines them, I don't like that verse anymore. Right? But he puts desires and dreams in your heart to have this incredible family or whatever it might be. Those dreams and desires come from God. And they can become a passion. Right? Because listen to me, I want all the goodness that God wants to give me. You can call me greedy all you want. I want all of it. And so I get passionate about that. But then I've got these other passions that turn into greed, that turn into selfishness, that don't concern themselves with anybody else. Right? And those passions are at war within themselves, within me. They're fighting. On the one hand, I want to do what God wants me to do, and I want to do it his way because I know it's the best. But on the other hand, I'm fighting myself because I want to do it doggone it my way. Right? So there's this conflict that goes on. That's what James is saying. In verse 2, he says this. He says that you desire and you do not have, so you murder. Uh Uh-oh. Anybody commit murder lately? 
The Bible says if you even speak to somebody a certain way, you've committed murder in your heart. Man, we're, we're, we're good at killing one another, aren't we? Isn't it funny how when you get in a fight with somebody that you're close to, I mean, it's to the death. Right? Tooth and nail, blood and sweat. We're going down with the ship, baby. I'm going to win. The question is, is when you win, what do you really win? That didn't come out right. <laughs> the question is, is when you win, what do you really win? You try saying that from a pulpit with a microphone on your head and see how well you do. But what do you really win? If me and Cheryl get in an argument and I win, what do I really win? What's my prize? <laughs> my prize is a big bed. The bed that once was small is now big. Because she's on this edge and I'm on that edge. But I won. He says, you commit murder. He says, so you covet and cannot obtain. So you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. Come on. This is getting somewhere. You do not have because you do not ask. Remember, you're trying to find fulfillment in somebody else who will never fill that spot in your heart. Right. The only one that can fill that spot in your heart is God himself or Jesus Christ. Right. But but we're constantly trying to get it from that person. And when we don't, we get mad at them. And the big issue is, is we've never asked. We never asked God to fill that spot. If there's something that the person you're in a relationship with is not giving you, ask God for it. Ask God for it. I tell single people all the time that you need to find your fulfillment in Jesus Christ before you try to find somebody else. And I tell them this. I even step out on a limb. I say, God's not going to bring your so-called number one until he is your number one. Because he don't want to bring you together with somebody and you put them in the place of him. Right. That's called idolatry. So why do we hurt the people closest to us? It's a very simple answer because they're the closest to us. (laughs) They're in the nearest proximity. Right? We get upset when we don't get what we want, when we want it and how we want it. And the whole problem is we've never asked God. We've never asked God. And what would happen if we'd start when we feel this tension coming? Instead of letting the tension turn into a war, what would happen if we would sense the tension and move to the side and say, God, something's stirring inside of me. Or you can get even more real than that. Lord, I'm about to rip somebody's head off. I need some help. And you may need to stay there until you get some help. I mean, because many times I said, Lord, you better help me. I'm about to kill him. And I'll walk over there and I'll kill him. Right? But I prayed. <laughs> I spiritualized that death. But what would happen if we would just take time to say, hey, well, maybe I'm causing something here. Lord, examine my heart. Lord, help me to understand why she feels this way. Right? 
Lord, help me to see this thing like you see it. How much could it change? Listen, you can stop fighting today. You can go from World War I to a simple conversation today. It's doable. The thing I love about people that have been married, I met a couple the other day was married 70-something years. I, no, I think that's the couple that comes every now and then from Basile. 72 or 75 years, 73 years they've been married. You think they had a few fights? You think they've learned a few lessons? You know what I see in those people? A dump truck load of wisdom. And I believe if they would stand up here today, they would say, listen, just sit down and talk about it. Don't run from it. Don't be scared of it. God gave you the ability to sense the tension, not so that it could go to a war, but so that you could do something about it. Amen. You can, number one, ask him to come and get up in the middle of it. When's the last time you invited God in the middle of your fight? Knucklehead like I am, it's usually 1130 at night. And I go, Lord, I got to go to sleep. And I say, Lord, okay. After I've done prayed, Lord, you need to fix her. I finally say, okay, Lord, what am I doing wrong? And so for the next 15 minutes, I'm crying on the floor, repenting. And then the next 15 minutes, I'm in the bed repenting. Right? Men, let me give you this little insight. Usually, the most extreme times of passion between you and your wife come right after the most extreme times of chaos. That ought to give you a goal to shoot for. I'm talking to the bullheaded men. That ought to give you something to shoot for. Amen. Knowing that, hey, sometimes the best thing of a fight is the making up. Sometimes I start a fight just so we can make up. I'm joking. I'm joking. But it's a good idea, isn't it, though? I thought so. Just do something silly, fix it real quick, and boom. Like old Cy would say, it's on like bing bong. Right? James 4, 2, and 3 says this, and I'm going to end it here. It says, you desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Right? Isn't that how we are? Doesn't that just sum us all up? We don't ask, so we don't get. But when we do ask and we don't get, it's because we're asking for our own selfish needs. Right? Let's be honest this morning. It's for my own selfish needs. And so God doesn't answer that prayer. And he doesn't give you what you want. Because he knows what it's going to do. But if we'll just stop long enough and I'll take ownership of what's mine... And Cheryl will take ownership of what's hers. 
and will sit down at a table and say, this is mine. This is where I've blown it. I'm sorry for this. Pray for me in this. Okay. And I understand that because I'm this way, you are that way. And then give her an opportunity to say, well, this part is mine. And I need you to forgive me for this. And I understand that when I do this, you feel that way. So pray for me. Isn't that a better way to deal with tension and conflict? What's stopping us from doing that? What's stopping us from doing that? Listen, if you're here today and you've got that down pat and that's the way you and your husband or you and your people roll, man, I, I'm, I'm very excited for you. I'm glad for you. I'm happy. I'm trying to be that. I really am. I'm really shooting to be a better father and a better husband and a better friend. I'm, I'm really trying to handle conflict differently. I'm, I'm, I'm literally praying for myself. Lord, help me. Help me to not be so stressed out. Help me to not be so full of tension. Help me not to cause everybody around me to be full of tension. We need to learn how to pray for one another. We need to learn how to ask for one another. But number one, we got to learn how to take ownership of what's ours. Right? That's, that's the big deal. If I'll just take ownership of mine and the other person will take ownership of theirs. You know what the argument is? The argument is me trying to convince you that you're wrong and you trying to convince me that I'm wrong. Basically, what I'm saying is, won't you own yours? And she's saying, won't you own yours? No, won't you own yours? No, won't you own yours? Right? There we go. Well, you go first. No, you go first. I told you, we never grow up. Take yours and deal with yours. Pray for yours. Ask God to help you with yours. Focus on yours. Be aware of yours. And pray for theirs and encourage them with theirs, right? Is that not a better way? Amen? You know what that's called? God's grace. That's what fills the gap between a real family and an ideal family is his grace. Amen? Can we pray this morning? Can you stand up with me? The reality is, is that we know very little about ourselves, which means that we know very little about other people. You see, I think I know me, but the crazy thing is I've spent the last 39 years discovering myself through the eyes of God. Amen. If you're here this morning and you've, you've struggled and Honestly, you you found yourself in here, and I believe the Holy Spirit has spoken to every one of us very specifically. I just want you to own it today. But listen to me. I don't want you to own it and hang on to it. I don't want you to say, okay, because this is how we do sometimes. Okay, I have anger issues, and we expect the rest of the world around us to change because I've got anger issues. No, 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 no. That's not how it works. You own it by saying, I have anger issues, but then you, you turn around and you hand it to God. 
And you say, Lord, help me with my anger issues. Help me to change. I can't stay this way. This is God didn't. He didn't allow you to understand that about yourself so that you can now make it an excuse. He let you discover it so that you can now cast it on him because he cares for you. Amen. So what I want to do today is I want you just to own whatever it is that the Holy Spirit has spoken to you about. Whatever it is. And just, just, just open your hands and say, Lord, I give it to you. I give it to you today. I give it to you tomorrow. I give it to you Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. For the rest of my life, I give it to you. And I know, Lord, that it's something I'm going to have to do every day. So, Father, I pray right now, Lord. That you would help us as a church, as your people, as your bride, Father, to just become holy. Lord, to become righteous like you see us being righteous, Father. Help us to become people that examine our hearts. And we ask you to examine our hearts so that we could become better, Lord. So that, Father, in reality, we could become more like Jesus. Lord, help us to be like Jesus. Right now, Father, I just pray across this room as we, as we just own what we've discovered. Father, we also own it, but we release it. And we give it to you, Lord. Trusting you. Believing in you, Lord. That you're going to change us. That your grace, Lord, is with us. And that, Father, you're going to grace us through this thing. Lord, help us to believe that we can have a great marriage. We can have a great relationship with our kids or with our parents, Lord. That we can have a great relationship with our family members and our co-workers and our friends, Lord. Help us, Father.